somewhere today, I, I had an email from him, I thought, about his, need all these talking points. Did you not? Did we, did oh, you? I forwarded it to you. Oh, hey, by the way, we're live. Hello, lunatics. Good evening. Um, we're going to do our best to hurt as many feelings as possible tonight. We actually got an expert um, to join us tonight to talk about insurance. So, for a change. For a, for a change. change. We're going to have an expert yeah. tonight. <laughs> Somebody on this show is going to actually know what the hell they're talking about. Um, <laughs> That'll be a first. <laughs> so uh, we'll take a minute here to do some review. Uh, we talked about this last week, and we'll give you another little teaser. Uh, Larry and I spent the weekend in Hurricane Sequestered uh, over New Year's weekend, and we rewrote the entire Blue Ribbon program. We're calling it Masterclass 2023. You can read about it on our website. Uh, it's right there on the front page. Uh, but we're going to do an episode about it and kind of break it down here in a couple of weeks, um, yet to be determined when we're going to do that, but we're going to do it. Um. I was trying to think, was there any housekeeping we need to do from last week? Um, I know we're going to talk about lease versus authority tonight because our guest has really interesting insights into that. Um, so we started up a big hornet's, a hornet's nest about about that last week, as we do most every week. Um, so, I am on the road, uh, in case you don't recognize oh, yeah. my surroundings. I'm in an undisclosed location in Indianapolis, Indiana. Because I have to attend the mandatory three-year uh, lease renewal uh, meeting tomorrow, and so I came up here to get ready for that and for the podcast tonight. So I've got to sign a sixty-two-page document tomorrow, and unlike most people that do it, I'm going to read every word right there in front of them, and I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to make it as as miserable for them as I possibly can make it. Because I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be a hypocrite and criticize you guys for not reading it and me do the same thing, even though I have read it. This is the third one I've signed. You do one every three years, so um, maybe the fourth one I've signed. But anyway, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through. And we're gonna read every word of it. Y'all and, have uh, no idea how much I wish I could be in Indianapolis tomorrow to watch this <laughs> because I'm sure you know, you're about it. There's oh I'm, I I'm listen I'm anxiously awaiting your report, but if I could because I was I went to an orientation with one of the drivers I don't know six months ago, and it was it was a pretty uh, it was an experience let's just say that, right. um, and so now this is the cabs class C- continued awareness of business and safety, and Larry's got to go and God I wish I could be in that room because. I just know there's going to be some BCO in there that's going to say something stupid. And, you know, I mean, there could be some Larry Long specials handed out tomorrow. You know, I mean, that's a real possibility. Um, God, I wish I could be there. It's very possible. So, um, well, anyway, we'll see what happens. I don't don't even know. Have have I met the guy who teaches this class in Indianapolis? I don't think so. But, well, the guy that was doing it, I think, is the guy we, we met at the truck show that came to our yeah. dinner, but I yeah. think he left him with another company. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't think we've met this guy before. So, um, well, he's, he's yeah. fixing to, <laughs> he's in for a surprise, isn't he? <laughs> he's fixing to have a trip. So yeah. I have a question about this. I, of course, uh-huh. we've, I've been to 189 in orientations there over the years with drivers. Uh-huh. And, I, and so they're not going to have this in the same room as that, obviously. Where do they have no, this? Thing? No. So it's down, it's like down the hall toward Al's office. Like you were going to, not where you're going to walk around to get to the front where Brenda is. 
you're going to yeah. go to the pop machine and turn right, and it's back there toward Al's office. So really, I guess it's well, a it, dungeon or storage Steve? closet or something they cleaned out. Is it in Steve's yeah. old office in uh, the corner? I don't. I don't know. I don't. Hmm. I don't remember where Steve's off, but it's like right across yeah. the hall from from Al. Okay. So oh, across the hall from Al. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, they must have cleaned out like a storage, like a janitor's closet or something, you know, to do cabs in. So I don't know, but I'm, I'm anxiously <clears> waiting <throat> your report. We should have just a special podcast seg- segment next week for Larry's experience in cabs class. Cause you, listen, there 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 may be uh, things come from down on high, you know. Now I have to practice up on my on my genuflecting and curtsying if I've got to walk by Alexander's office tomorrow, right? <laughs> Easy. Uh, I listen. I, I just, I mean, I can't wait. I just can't wait. Of course, now you don't get to go to Cracker Barrel like you used to. I think they, I think I mean, they bring I, in some kind of cheap pizza. Cracker, they took us out to Golden Corral every other time. I've oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Golden Corral. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they they well, bring lunch in now. Okay. Well, so uh, I have a question for you. Is it starting yes, at seven thirty or is it eight? Do you know? Uh, that I don't know. I'd probably be there at seven thirty. That's what I would probably. Do. Oh, I'll be, I'll be. Uh, I'm. I'm. You, <clears throat> didn't you get a? Didn't you get an email? I'm sure. I probably. I, I'm sure I did. I'll look at it. I mean, I just. I thought maybe you had coached up Andrew last week because I know he was just there, and you could ha- oh, answer my oh, question right. without me having to do that. So. Well, that's right. Uh, text Andrew and ask him what time he showed up. So, <laughs> all right, let's get the show on the road. So, I made a TikTok a couple weeks ago <clears throat> after my experience in Ohio Scale House, where um, I found out that I had a trailer light that was not operating properly, and um, <clears throat> I, I had I had done my pre trip. Uh, drove about 20 miles to that scale. Uh, he pulls me around, you know, we go through all the paper, everything's good until we got to that part. And he's like, well, you try turn signals not working. So I went and I looked, you know, and I'm like, well, I want to know, is it the bulb? Is it the circuit? And I asked him if the midship turn signal was flashing. And his response was, and I quote, what? What? Swear to God, (laughs) hand on the Bible. That's exactly what he said. You're driving a boat. Right. So, um, and of course it wasn't. And I'm like, ah, I've seen this before. So I go up to the front of the trailer. I unplugged the pigtail. I pulled the little pins apart, plugged it back in. It was working. I said, hey, see, it's working. He's like, great. So he gives me a warning. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, I look here. I circled it, you know, that it's, that I verified it was working. Okay, buddy, whatever. And so I leave. Well, then I get a letter uh, and I've got, you know, 72 points and, uh, $50 fine, a civil citation from the state of Ohio. So I was a little salty. So I made a tech talk about it and I called it the biggest scam in the history of trucking industry. And basically what I mean by that is my, number one, most drivers don't it's, understand. You got a lot. There's a lot of competition for that title. Okay. <laughs> there, there is there 100% is. Um, but I don't like the way it's set up that a cop who probably just out of lack of understanding or ignorance doesn't understand that giving you a warning is not helping you. You're better off with a citation because a citation you can fight in court, a warning you can't. Now, uh, didn't so, this happen in Ohio? This did happen in Ohio. And didn't you have a friend one time that told you how Ohio DT cops, <sighs> DOT cops were 
were assigned that job? He did. He one hundred percent. Does that did. make you? Does that make you want to change that statement you just made before this? Well, I listen. I'm I'm being diplomatic. Okay, I'm being <laughs> diplomatic. You. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, well, by the way, by the way, we switch roles for this podcast. Okay, normally I'm the diplomatic one, and he's the one that is not. But we, for some reason, we take on each other's persona on the podcast. Well, you know, I'm the one that's a jerk. And he's the right. But we also have a, you know, we actually have a real guest who's actually an expert stuff. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, clean up my act a little bit. (laughs) So anyway, I make this TikTok, and it, you know, didn't really go viral. It's like 500,000 now, but I got a notification. And so when you, when you go into your little activities, you can see if someone commented uh, or mentioned your video and I see one now, you know, sometimes you click on that. You don't know what you're going to see. And, uh, and it was a guy named Brian and he had some, he wasn't a troll and he had some interesting comments and I'm like, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? And he was like, sure. So we're going to bring him on, but his name is Brian Dale. Um, he's got over 20 years of experience in transportation and logistics. Uh, he's had his own uh, trucking company and agency. Uh, so he's been around, he's, uh, uh, pointed with all the major truck insurance markets. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. We've had some talks with him. So we're going to bring him on, and I lost my mouse. Let me push a couple of buttons here. Let me push that one, and then that one. Before you push that, remind everybody that we're sponsored by Pittsburgh Power, okay? Yeah, Uh, we are sponsored by Pittsburgh Power. That that, that paid the bill for us doing this for you every Sunday night. So we would appreciate you patronizing them. Also, keep in mind the Blue Ribbon, we're stocking uh, distributors of the OPS products and the Max Mileage. And now we can welcome our guest. All right. So without further ado, here's our guest, Brian Dale. Brian, thank you for being here. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. So um, after we talked to you the other day, I realized, you know, that your experience in insurance and trucking gives us a much greater opportunity to talk about stuff other than CSA. We're going to talk about that because it's an important part of this of this discussion, but I think what we should do is kind of set the groundwork and, and let's get everybody speaking the same language and with the vocabulary as far as what these types of insurance are, you know, because a lot of people really don't know. I certainly didn't until I got into it and now I kind of understand, but you even helped me, you know, break down further and understand. So first let's talk about, the basic types, what are there, five or six basic types of insurance that are required to operate a truck, regardless of if you're leased or authority, you need to have these kinds of insurance. Let's talk about what they are and set that groundwork. Okay. So I, I, again, thanks for having me on. I've, I've been following your, your, um, your growing podcast and watching your TikToks and love the content, love what you guys do. Um, and I love trucking. I've been in trucking for like all of my adult life. So um, anything and everything about trucking, it just piques my interest. And um, and thanks for mentioning the TikTok too. Like we just started that page not very long ago. So I have, you know, so I've been looking for content and things to discuss. Um, so I really appreciate you guys allowing me to be on here for that reason too. Um, so to break it down, if you're an owner operator, you guys are very well aware. The owner operator has to have his occupational accident coverage or workers comp one of the two and carry that for himself because when you're an owner operator 
or if you own trucks and hire drivers, you are a business. You're a business. You, you, you're not just some guy, you know, slinging trucks or putting things together, or you're not a, you know, owner operator slash driver and you think you work for the man anymore. You own and run your business. Therefore, yep. you're required to all of the subjectivities of what a business must have um, with regards to insurance as well. So when you're an owner operator, you need that occupational accident. Or I, th I think Larry is Landstar calls it what a CPP, right? Mm -hmm. right. Um, yep. Contract you, you need protection. An, right. <clears throat> and so, um, and we'll get into, we'll get into this too, but you need bobtail or non-trucking or unladen liability. One of those three to uh, cover you in a case of an accident for bodily injury, property damage to others while you're either a not under dispatch and not pulling a trailer. That would be uh, that would be bobtail only or non-trucking liability, which would mean while you're not under dispatch and you may or may not have a trailer or unladen liability, which just means you're not under dis. Actually, I think it means you're just not under a load at that point. Mm -hmm. So uh, either work comp or occupational accident or CPP, and you need bobtail insurance. We just call all three of those bobtail. Then you need the insurance for your truck and, and or, well, and your trailer if you have one of those two, because normally the fleet that you're going to be leased onto is not going to pick that up. So you've got to insure your own in that case. And that's the physical damage, comprehensive coverage. Right. Physical damage, comprehensive collision, um, however you want to word that. We, we call it physical damage, you know. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then the, 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 then the big one is cargo liability, right? Well, so if you're going to be a motor carrier under your own authority, you're going to have a different set, a uh, little, you know, different insurance. So now, and, you know, thanks to trucking being so he heavily regulated, the government is literally in, in your insurance policy. So if you're an interstate uh, commercial carrier uh, crossing state lines, you have to have a federal authority. And when you're granted that federal authority, it means that the insurance company is required to make a filing with the FMCSA that basically states we have this motor carrier covered to protect the public at all times. Mm -hmm. So that policy is going to pick up liability accidents. This is primary liability I'm talking about right now. Mm -hmm. This is the motor carrier's primary liability. And these prices range from five to $20,000 a year, sometimes even north of that uh, if you've got some issues um, per truck. So, there is a form MCS 90 in that policy that says that they're making the filing and that they're going to protect the public from, from any and all claims. So even if you don't have a truck scheduled on the policy, the insurance company is still liable, which is why they're so strict on motor carriers about, you know, either scheduling their trucks if they're, if they're, you know, under 20 or 30 trucks and they've got a scheduled truck policy. When you get up bigger than that, they'll just, they'll write the policy on a symbol called any auto and they'll report mileage or revenue. So again, we're talking about primary liability and the insurance company being on the hook to the, you know, to the public and governed by the FMCSA. So motor carriers these days can't just take a truck off their insurance policy because they put it up for sale. 
And the reason for that is because insurance companies have had to pay claims where somebody came by to test drive it or they bought it and didn't get their own insurance. So technically, or, you know, it wasn't re-registered in the new owner's name. Um, so there's all kinds of situations where the insurance companies can have to pay large claims as you can, as you can tell. So, mm -hmm. so, so to, to restate what you just said, Brian, mm -hmm. so as a owner operator leased to a carrier, you have to have the workers comp on yourself or some type of, of coverage that's equivalent to that, that your state will accept. Number two, you have to have bobtail or some type of unladen or, or un, um, uh, non-trucking, non-trucking liability. And then you have to have physical damage to cover uh, collision and so forth on your property uh, that you own. Um, when you become a carrier, and, and let's just make sure everybody understands the, the, ver the, 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 verb the verbiage here. When you get your own authority, you become a motor carrier. That's what an MC number is that you get with your authority. So in that scenario, you have to add on the primary liability that you just described, correct? Right. You can also, you know, if you, if you transfer from being an owner operator to getting your own authority, you can let go of the bobtail and unladen and right. you know, non-truck non liability policy. Unless you lease drivers on, correct? Unless you lease drivers on and then they each need to have their own or you can do a company sponsored plan. Right. So if you so if you are going to be a motor carrier and get your own authority, you're going to need that primary liability that I just talked about. OK, you're going to need um, cargo insurance for whatever you're hauling, the hundred thousand limit, two fifty, five hundred million, depending on what you're you know, what you're hauling. Um, right. and, and then you've got to cover your own trucks as well. And if you're hiring drivers, you need workers comp insurance as well. And then there's other types of business insurance that you might need, you know, such as mm -hmm. EPLI for discrimination lawsuits or, uh, you know, bad, bad hiring practices or, you know, things like that. Um, HR, HR related coverage. HR related coverages. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole slew of insurance that you would want to look at, look into any, anytime you're running a business. Um, but there's, you know, there's five or other 10 types of policies we could talk about and get into, but I have a, I have a, I have a question on that one. So, uh, just in the last couple of days, one of my, one of my favorite YouTubers, Gentry and Sons Trucking, um, out of Tennessee, they had a fire in their shop and basically it wiped, it took out like six trucks, all their tools, oh my gosh. uh, burned up, a, you know, burned up a couple of trucks and, a, you know, like his brother's, I mean, it, it just, it just wiped them out. I mean, it was devastating. Um, and so, you know, obviously people have done a GoFundMe and, and I've seen arguments and comment sections. What's what insurance is for? Okay, well, this is a great opportunity. So you, everybody knows if you're trucking, you've got to have insurance for your truck. But what about when your shop burns down and all your tools? And he had just bought like six new engines, and uh, and I mean, just devastating to your business. So you've got to think about those kinds of insurances as well. If you're going to run a business, because if you have a shop and all these tools and all these other things that you have to have to run that trucking business and that burns to the ground, you got to have that too, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Property insurance and make sure the contents within that property are properly insured and you know, your, your tools and all that good stuff too. So yeah. And, and if you're open to the public, you got to make sure you got general liability that would cover them if they get hurt on your property. That's exactly right. There are also situations that, you know, um, 
trucking companies could need general liability for other than just on their premises as well. And I guess I could give, I could give a few examples, but I'll just give one, but let's say one of your employee drivers is um, out on the road and, and is delivering a load and gets into an altercation with someone and your company gets sued. So it could, it could provide defense for that. So yeah, um, there's a lot to think about in the business. At one point in time, we considered hiring a mechanic, um, a, a mobile mechanic to service our trucks and then allow him to service other people's trucks if we, if we didn't need him, you know, to keep his income up. When I looked at the coverage for him, it, it quickly changed my mind <laughs> to do that business, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you've got, you've got this guy on the side of the road, you know, with cars going by and you've got, he's working in a, you know, it, it just, it was a, it became very apparent to me that the coverage was going to cost way more than the profit was going to be. And so we unplugged from that idea right away. But it was, it was interesting to me how, how complicated the coverage was going to have to be for that particular type of, of, of operation, a mobile mechanic, you know? Yeah. And just answering those questions. I mean, I did it for a client the other day. It's like, no, they're not repainting cars. Don't you guys know what, you know, what we're asking here? It's so funny because I mean, I've kind right. of been on the insurance company side too, in a, in a part of my career. Um, so I kind of, I, I'm a good, I'm a good mediator or, or bridge is to understand what, what they're asking for and what the answer on applications to satisfy what they need. But, but sure. yeah, so if a mobile mechanic were to not tighten the lug nuts, for example, that truck drives yeah. off and has a wreck and hurts somebody really bad or kill somebody or whatever, I guess he's on the hook. Yeah. yeah. Unless, uh, unless you're TA Petro and then <laughs> shots fired. I just, I just picked a scab there, Brian. You wouldn't probably <laughs> understand what that's about. Uh, so I have a couple of questions about physical damage um, because Larry wanted to bring up the, the topic of stated value insurance. Um, all of our trucks are a low enough value um, that our physical damage insurance doesn't cost very much. Um, but we have had, we have had, uh, four trucks lost. So we've been through the process. Um, but we were talking about the, is it standard that it's so much per dollar of value of the truck? Because I think a lot of people will think be like, well, sure. I, I can afford a $3,000 payment. Well, what about that $800 insurance that comes with it? You know, we're so used to, we're, we drive an old truck and we got $170 a month or 150 or whatever, um, insurance, physical damage insurance payment. And then we're going to go buy that big shiny W nine. And all of a sudden we're paying almost a thousand dollars. So how is physical damage priced and how do you protect yourself to make sure that you're actually covered for the amount of the loss? given that we've had people buying $250,000 trucks that probably aren't worth one fifty now. Yeah. And that's, that's something that happened in the industry. You know, when the demand for trucking, the, the freights, uh, freight rates went up, the demand for trucks and trailers went, you know, they were almost non-existent trying to, trying to find a truck or trailer at affordable price. It raised all the, all the uh, prices through the roof. Right. And so now as everything has come crashing back down, those values are not what they, you know, they're not what they were. Um, so you need to, you need to evaluate that once a year and keep in mind, uh, I want to, I want to, and I'm glad you mentioned this. 
stated value insurance is not agreed value insurance. You and the insurance company did not agree that that is the value of the truck. You until, stated until, the, until there's a claim. <laughs> then you, Sorry, then you get to, until there's a claim, then you get to right. agree on it. <laughs> then you agree. So, so, so let me explain. There's, there's actual cash value as a method for determining the value of a piece of equipment in the event of a total loss. Okay. Actual cash value is if the adjuster goes on truck paper and finds three lunatic trucks with 800,000 miles on them, <clears throat> and they're all worth 40,000 a piece. It's pretty safe to say that's the market value. Right. That's the same method you want to use when you come up with that value for your equipment. Okay. You want to try to find um, some, some comps online and uh, see what everything's kind of going for. Uh, so, so actual cash value, I think everybody knows pretty much what that means. I think we've, we've all heard that at some point of our life. That's pretty much market value. That's what you could get for it. If, if you turn it into cash stated value is almost, how do I word this? Um, we'll just say that the insurance company pays the lesser of the two when it comes to stated value. So you're going to pay your insurance premium based on, and let's say that you guys used a value of 35,000 because you didn't, you didn't look at comps, for example, we'll just use an example, right? So you state that the value is 35,000. Well, the insurance policy is most likely going to say, we'll pay you ACV or stated value, whichever is less. So in trucking, you don't see insurance company offering agreed value. That's more like with your collector cars like Haggerty and whatnot, when, you know, when something's really, you know, they need to come out and get an appraisal done and say, you know what, if thing burns to the ground, we'll give you $200,000 for your collector car, you know? So they don't really have agreed value in trucking. But, but the point I think that needs to be made here, Brian, is that regardless of what you think it's worth and regardless of what value you put on it and you pay the premium based on that value that you stated, the actual value is not going to be determined until there is a claim. And then uh, your perception of the value does not take place. You know, it, it's like you say, it's all determined by an adjuster. There may be a little negotiation. I was able to negotiate a few things because I could provide, for example, an, uh, a receipt where I just put overhauled an engine in, in the past few months. And so I got credit for the fact that that raised the value. Um, not easy to do, but can be done. But here's the other thing I want to make sure that you make, okay? The premium that you pay is not discounted or refunded because the actual value is less than what you stated it was, uh, and there's a claim, that extra premium is forfeited to the insurance company. That is correct. That One is yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that don't understand this, okay? They think that if I insure this truck for $100,000 and I'm paying the premium $100,000, when, when it gets totaled, I'm going to get $100,000. And there's nothing about that that's even close to being true. Right. So you, you need to you need to reevaluate that each year at policy renewal. Some some insurance companies will allow you to adjust if you've realized during the middle of your policy, hey, I, I, my valuation is incorrect on this. Or you Other, add something to raise the value. Um, you know, with, with the guys at Landstar, Gallagher requires an email and they'll they'll change the stated value with an email uh, mm-hmm. and they'll send you a new valuation, you know. 
Uh, what, you know, what if you had an APU or what if you do this? What if you do that? It might change the value. Um, but, the, but the thing, the point I wanted to be sure and make, though, is that you're choosing to insure it for a value more than what it really is. Doesn't buy you anything except your own peace of mind that you think until it comes to the point where you have to have a claim. Um, you know, so you're, you, you owe yourself the obligation and here's where, here's where, here's where it gets to be bad. You know, you, for whatever reason, you fall in love with a truck, you walk by it and you get aroused and you have to have that truck and you pay, uh, whatever you have to pay to get it in your mind, that truck is worth that. But to everybody else in the trucking world, that truck is worth this. And if you decide to pay based on how much, lo how much love you have for this thing, it is just going to disappoint you. And what, what happens now, Brian, when the truck values have decreased so much in the past six months that they, you know they're underwater? You know they're way underwater. What happens then? Well, if you have a loan, you know, you may be entitled to purchase gap coverage. You'd have to check with your insurance company about that. I'm sure Landstar offers that through Gallagher. Um, but if you're, you know, if you've paid out of pocket, I mean, like you said, the, the value of it's going to be determined at the time of the loss. So if you're upside down and you don't, and you weren't able to buy gap coverage and have a loan on this truck, then you're going to be upset if that's, if there's a total loss on it. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I I hope Absolutely. I hope there's not so many people out there that are upside down in their equipment because because of the freight boom that occurred. But, you know, there are, you know. Oh, and, yeah. Well, <laughs> and my favorite my favorite scab to pick are these lease purchase guys. You know, they're paying so much more to get that truck that there's no way that even if they wrecked it on day one, there's no way the coverage is going to is going to pay what that lease is. You know, that's. That's the problem is that when you play double and triple for a truck, how do you insure that? Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, you're, you're taking business risks and everything you do in business. And um, I, I highly encourage not, not look, not all lease purchase programs are bad. Ha having fleets as insurance clients, um, you know, I've seen some good ones. I've seen some bad ones. But, uh, you know, if, if, if people are in those, I highly recommend they pull them back out and look at them and review them and make sure they know what they're in for because there well, are that was, the point, that was the point Wait. I wanted to make about the state, about the state of value is that, you know, there, I know there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation and just a lot of plain old ignorance about, about this. And, and uh, we've encountered it several times because like you said, we've had four losses. Um, I'm in a, usually the opposite situation. You know, we pay cash for trucks and we add, we add value to the trucks. I'm in the position of having to prove to the adjuster that what I've, the things I've done to the truck have added this value. And, and, and you have to, they'll allow some of it, some of it, they, they don't even understand the value that we've done to it. So it's kind of a struggle for us sometimes. To, and here's where we get into it. Let's say we go out and pay $20,000 for a truck. We put another 20 in to get it on the road, reliable, safe, making, you know, good fuel and everything. And so we got 40 grand in the truck. There's no way that that truck is going to be insurable for that. So for the first six months or whatever, until you can make enough profit on the truck to where you can uh, get your, uh, your, your investment down to where it's insurable, you're kind of at risk in, in our situation, in our lunatic model. 
and and we we you know we don't hide from that. We point it out. But fortunately, well, what I would, at, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. Um, no, what didn't. I would recommend, obviously, you already know, keep up with your receipts and and the dates right. of you know when these uh, restorations or you know repair bills are, are done matter a lot. So six months is going to you know count more than some repair work you did a year ago. But, uh, you know, if you're having a disagreement with an insurance company adjuster over the value of a vehicle uh, and you can show if you can find some comps, that's great. But if you're having trouble with that, too, you know, most insurance policies do have a clause in there that will allow you to hire an outside adjuster, independent third party adjuster at your own expense. And I mean, you're looking at like what, three, five hundred bucks and it, it could be worth it, you know. Exactly. Now, sometimes that plays against you. We had a truck that, matter of fact, he's watching right now. We had a truck that was totaled. And uh, Chris, you might tell what the numbers here, but uh, it, it was valued at like $30,000. Am, am I right about that? The best, the best thing that I've ever seen happen with an adjuster is make sure when he shows up, it's raining and there's snow on the ground. And he looks up and yeah. down both sides yeah. and goes, 20,000 hidden damage. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Because I put a, so we got a bumper check. on it and started hauling freight with it, you know? We got a check for 30 grand, okay? We probably spent about 10, and it was back on the road again. We bought we bought it as salvage, okay? It totaled. We bought it as salvage. Um, and then we probably put $10,000 in, and it's it's uh, it went back to hauling freight. So, Well, yeah, and if you're, um, you know, if you're, and this, it kind of follows you guys too, but it definitely follows you if you're under your own authority. Um, yeah. your claims, your claims follow you. And so, yeah. um, you know, when you get to where you're trending above a 50% or 60% loss ratio, and what that is, is premium dollars paid out, uh, right. versus <clears throat> premium dollars spent. Now you're kind of, right. you know, you're kind of taking your own risks now because you're looking at price increases on your insurance premiums too. Sure, so, sure. you know, now, I, will say you know this. I will say this about that. I've been at Landstar now for 10 years. And when we've always, I've always used Landstar's agency, uh, Gallagher, but I've had four losses. I've had four totals and, 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 I, and we've had drivers that have been fired by Landstar because of too many tickets or too many accidents or things like that. Never, never has the premium ever changed. Is that just because the contract with Landstar and there's so much business that they give them besides the home office, putting them in there, you know, in, in there with them? I mean, is there, is there, uh, it, it, are they just, are they just have the volume that they don't have to, to rate each truck or each incident or each driver? So what that is, is it's because, you know, Gallagher has Landstar on a master fleet policy. So you guys are not really judged on your individual basis, most likely. Um, we're not. We're not. Yeah. So most likely, you're you're on a master fleet policy. So when that when that big you know huge policy comes up for renewal, the insurance companies you know they're looking at all the claims combined. So right. I guess if you guys were, you know, burning up a couple of trucks a year, Landstar would be like, hey. <laughs> You guys need to make some changes in your risk management program. <laughs> What's going on? Right. Well, right. you know, something that of the many, many le lessons that Larry has taught me um, in negotiation of not taking the first offer, you know, and I think just most people in general are not accustomed of how to negotiate. 
you know, they they get an offer and they're like, oh, that's all they're giving me. And they're like, no, 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 no. You you argue and you 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 go back and forth and you fight uh, because we see it all the time. Somebody will come to us and oh well, you know, our, we had this problem, we couldn't find the part, and I'm like, I'll find it. Give me an internet connection in 20 minutes, and I'll find that national back-ordered part, and I'll have it on the way. Because I refuse to take that first, you know, so it's much bigger than insurance. But, you know, if you're going to be in business, you're going to be in the big leagues, then you're going to have to behave as a business person does, and somebody hands you an offer, and ah, no, let's go back and forth. But I, I think just most people just aren't – they're not – they don't have the capacity or the patience um, to really – you know, go back and forth with that adjuster or find that third party like you were talking about. And, and it's, you know, it can be intimidating and scary, but you've got to protect yourself. And sometimes you got to fight, you know, and maybe you got to get Mr. $400 an hour involved, um, <laughs> you know, uh, to, to write some letters and, and threaten some people, you know, but I was so, uh, I mean, he wore my ass out the first six months I was here. Because I would, you know, I was I wasn't reading every line of a of an invoice and making sure that you know. And now I, you know, I can I'm a master. I can get an invoice down, you know, every single time. You know, what, what are you charging me this for? You know, I've so, created a monster, Brian. Oh boy, one hundred percent. That's good. That's good. That's one thing about you know being an insurance broker is, uh, you know, and I mean you know even looking at these insurance company policies. I mean we have to know what we're we have to know what we're, we're selling our client. I mean, we have insurance to protect too, you know? Um, and, and, and I mean, you would be surprised at some of these, some of these cargo policies, for example, that, um, that are out there that, you know, exclude some of the things that the motor carrier hauls, you know, and you come across that and you're like, wait, what, why are you, why are you even quoting this? You know? (laughs) So, yeah. Um, that brings up a, that brings up a question. Um, I've only seen this maybe five times in all the loads that we've hauled, but I've had an agent say, or I'll find a line added on the freight bill. That's like $150 for extra insurance. Um, so, you know, I'm deducing from that, that, uh, Landstar's got, you know, a basic coverage, but this load requires more than that. So that's something I have access to at Landstar. If I had my own authority and I come up on a really good paying load, but my insurance doesn't have what the broker or the customer wants, do you have those supplemental types available to you as an, as an independent to go say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I need another 50 or a hundred thousand or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so being an independent, I mean, we're just like Gallagher, honestly. I mean, it's, it's hard to see that from, from work from inside Landstar's, you know, where you guys are leased on, but um, you know, Gallagher is an independent broker too. So, you know, they handle the fleet insurance for Landstar and then their owner operator programs. And, you know, I have some fleets that none are, none of which are quite that big. Some maybe at our agency, but uh, so, so we manage these policies for our fleets and, you know, a fleet may have a policy that's only a hundred thousand dollars in limit. And they're, you know, they could be calling my team twice a week. Uh, Hey, we need a two fifty limit for this. We need a 500,000 limit for this. Uh, and over time, you know, we like, you know, we might look at it and say, look, it's really adding up. Why don't you guys just get a, get the policy limits increased to two fifty or 500. Right. Right. Um, or, you know, if you're, if, if a trucking company is hauling load board freight, and it's a hundred thousand dollars nine times out of ten. 
you know, they may call, they may, they may keep that hundred thousand dollar cargo policy, but right. then let's say they have a customer like a retail store or, you know, some, some dedicated contract that's 10% of their, uh, 10% of their gross revenue. <clears throat> and that contract requires a higher limit. Then, you know, you can have a, a specified shipper endorsement on that cargo policy. Gotcha. 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 All of so you've got a high value customer and all of his loads exceed that, but the, the bulk of the business is still not enough to justify going to that, that higher level policy for everybody. All the way, so you got all the way across the board. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then some insurance companies are real flexible and they're, you know, they say, well, you know, how often a hundred thousand is, you know, what, what we've quoted here, how often do they haul something that goes up to two fifty? And you say, well, they've only, they only right. did it five times a year last year. Okay. Right. We'll throw right. it in for cheap. If the exposure changes, we trust you to let us know. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, and we didn't talk about this at the top, but you're an insurance broker. And I, I think I can describe that, but I want you to, to help me out here. You, you're not, uh, you're not, you're not exclusive to any one insurance company. You, you have a customer base and you go find them the best deal for them from a, from a selection of insurance companies that you can choose that are best for that situation. Would, would that description be correct? Right. Exactly. And, and I'm very fortunate and blessed to be with Commercial Insurance Associates. We're, we're a pretty large firm and they, they allow me to run my business underneath, underneath our business, you know, so we pretty much have, have a team. We call ourselves the National Transportation Practice, arm okay. of, uh, C, of CIA. Uh, I'm a secret agent at the CIA. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if I use the CIA part of it. But. Yeah, I got to be careful when I'm joking about that. But um, yeah. Somebody but will be yes, wanting we, to talk about President Kennedy with you. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we do. We have direct contract relationships with uh, most of your top tier insurance companies. You know, and then we use we use some like wholesale brokers or what they call uh, managing general agents as well. So we've got a very actually have a very tight grasp on the marketplace with regards to insurance company selection. And, you know, if a fleet grows to 50, 100, 200 power units, we also have the, the, the method and the means to allow them to take more and more risks. So higher and higher yeah. deductibles to where they actually stair, stair step into a captive situation. That sounds bad. Nobody's being held captive, but no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so it, you, it, you, you, can you walk them through the process of self-insuring and then reinsuring that for them? <clears throat> yes, we can do that. And we have okay. done that. So uh, a, a captive is a, as a, uh, you, you have your captive administrator, they get an insurance company to back this program and they're very selective about who they work with. And, you know, 20 to a hundred or maybe even two or 300 fleets will come together and all be insured under this captive program. Right. Big name insurance companies backing the whole thing, but the trucking companies are taking a hundred thousand to a half million dollars worth. Yeah. Rip. Yeah. 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 And so, and they also become a part of the insurance company at that point. And exactly. I've heard so many people out there just think, oh, I can just self-insure. I can self-insure. I, I promise you, 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 you probably can't. Yeah, like, yeah. like FedEx and Landstar can, you know, <laughs> and some of these really mega fleets, the, the FMCSA only gives maybe one or two of those statuses out a year from what, I, right. from what, I've, from what I've heard. So, 
Well, and, and, and you've got to and you've got to jump through a lot of hoops. You know, land, land, people complain about Landstar's compliance, but that's the reason. You know, Landstar has a thing here called a, a sitting duck policy, and uh, and it only it, it you're you know a Landstar operator is is prohibited from parking on on ramps and off ramps or anywhere within fourteen feet of a public highway. And you, as an, as an insurance guy, you know the reason for that because of the, a, uh, a nuclear verdict. You know, uh, you, regardless of why you're sitting there, you're at fault if somebody hits you, period. So that's part of their ability to reinsure is all the compliance that they require us to participate in. And that being one of them, of course, all the other compliance stuff, like what I'm going to do tomorrow, half what I do tomorrow is going to be taking this you know, look, sitting through more safety films. But again, when you're a defendant in court and you can say, well, here's what we do here. Da, 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 here's this whole list, litany of things that we do to make us safer. Um, you know, it makes it harder and harder for a defense attorney to find holes in your, in your, in your plan, in your program. Um, exactly. And I, I need to go ahead and say that, you know, I don't know everything about Landstar. I don't represent them or know much about them sure. or, or, or their agent. Uh, and I'm surely not speaking on behalf of, but I uh, just wanted to make sure, sure that everybody knows that. I'm, I'm no right. part of that. I'm just an independent broker. Um, so that, that probably brings, it would be good for a segue into the next topic, if you guys will. Um, sure. Why? Why is Landstar so so picky about their compliance and, and their rules so strict? Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I'll I'll tell you my my opinion of the biggest scam in the trucking insurance or trucking history, if that's okay. okay. Absolutely. Um, I believe the biggest scam ever to hit the trucking industry is the billboard attorney. <laughs> the hammer. <laughs> You got it. The hammer, the, the ambulance so, chaser. Well, you know, if listen, it forever and ever it was the tobacco companies. And that went away. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to fill that void, Brian. And listen, truck drivers are pretty easy targets, okay? You ever met one Trucking of them? Is so <laughs> difficult. There's so many regulations. And attorneys will turn that around and say, you know, the regulations are just the minimum. And they'll use right. the reptile theory, look it up. It triggers. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. It, you, you've heard of this. Okay. So yes. it, 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 you know, they, they paint us, they paint us in such a bad light and they say, you know, they, they can't even maintain their, you know, their, their standard minimum compliance from the DOT. Well, it's, I mean, it's just like, it's just like you said, you can have a tail light working 20 minutes down the road and it's not working by the time you get to the scale. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, but they, they twist on these things and they set new precedences. Plaintiffs, attorneys in trucking, we'll call them ambulance chasers for the fun of it. They yeah. literally hold conferences across the United States and share case data with each other. They are out for the money. But sure. here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't have any statistics behind this. But in most cases, I can tell you that if someone has been injured or their vehicle's been, uh, you know, in an accident with a big truck, in most cases, the insurance companies want to be fair with you. They want to be fair. They will do whatever it takes to, to make you happy. And these billboard attorneys go, you know, promote themselves 
they get involved in this claim and they raise the stakes by giving you litigation financing. They try to do all these things to make you cozy when all they're really doing is trying to increase the verdict or the settlement so that they can make money on the deal. Absolutely. 100%. And listen, prior to December of 2019, when we had paper logbooks, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. I mean, you know how easy it would be to take somebody's logbook and look back and find one incident where you should not have been on the road? Well, you know, and that's so, where, exactly. And that's where they're even getting money when the, you know, sometimes when the trucking company is not at fault. So a lot absolutely. of, you know, a lot of, a lot, and they'll attack. So they attack the trucking company, the subpoena, all the files and find. So when you, when you make these policies and procedures uh, as, as a, as a motor carrier, as a trucking company, you know, you've got to make them to where you can follow them. You, you can't make them strict and then not follow them. You have to make them where, you know, it's part of your company. You can't use somebody else's, you know, policies and procedures when you're, when you decide to do this. So there, there's so much to know. There's so much compliance. I mean, there's even certain times when you need to delete the data, you know, and if you're, it's like, if you're going to use the inward facing dash cams, you've got to use it for driver coaching. You know, and the ones that won't comply, you got to get them, you got to get them out of there. And, and right. but all of this is like kind of from the courtroom backwards is why it is, it is, is why everything is, is so tough. And, and that's why CSA sucks as much as it does, especially when you've got an, an unruly officer or one that doesn't know what he's talking about or, or you feel like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, it, it, and why Landstar and, and so many other trucking companies are, uh, so careful and so uh, so stringent on these on these things. It all comes down to, you know, yeah, and, and and a lot of individual drivers feel like the trucking companies don't have their back. You know that they're that you know they, they it, it the, the deck stacked against them all the time. You know because look, you can you can make a, a couple mistakes and lose your job in trucking pretty easily. Okay, and then it's also hard to to get hired again at a, at a decent um, quality employer because of that record sticks with you, you know? And so then that, then that drives guys into working for other people at, to, for 1099s, all this kind of stuff. But uh, we don't have a very nurturing approach to this. You know, it's like you mess up, we're going to get rid of you because it makes us look like we care about safety. And if we let you stay, then I can't defend myself in court because you did this and we knew that and we let you stay on. So it, it makes it a very, it's a, the, the relationships is, is, is very difficult uh, because of that. There's no, everybody's made an example of, you know, well, he did this, he's got to go, you know? And there um, needs to be some, there needs to be some driver awareness. Um, I think, I think a lot of your drivers need to learn a lot more about maintenance and and look i know this industry is hard but you guys also know it can be very lucrative too right but i think yeah you know and everybody's in business to make money um the but the the, the drivers god love them I, I respect the heck out of every truck driver i'm even kind of starting to do these awareness tiktoks about you know don't cut off their following distance give them room to turn and you know and and, and things like that um and they, they, they do feel like they're getting hit, you know, left and right all the time. So got nothing but love and respect for every single one of them. I thank every one of them for all they do. Um, the things that they could do, I guess, 
would be, you know, you know, learn a lot more about, uh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying the ones that don't. Okay. Um, I know there's a lot of them out there that, that, that maybe started and even started in mechanic. So, um, but you know, learn for the signs, like, you know, for looking for wheel seals leaking and things like that. I mean, you know, grease fires are, are, are one of your common things that can burn a trailer down in the cargo inside of it. Um, you know, and, and, and just, I mean, think about an, uh, an air, an airplane pilot, for example, and how many things they check, you know, and the mechanic, they're communicating with the mechanic on the outside and all the tests that they run. I mean, that's what you are. You're a pilot of this 80,000 pound monster when it's fully loaded. Um, and you got people all around you all the time. Uh, so it's, it's tough. I know it's tough, but yeah, the, the airways aren't very crowded like the highways are, and you don't have amateurs in the air. You only have, you know, you only have professional pilots, but on the, on the surface, you've got a lot of amateurs that you have to deal with, with the professional drivers. It makes it very challenging. Um, but you make a good point and, and you're, you're right. I mean, we, we, we talk about that a lot here, um, because you know, with the, the drivers that we're seeing that are coming into the business, you know, they don't have the background, you know, they didn't grow up on a farm. They didn't tear down cars when they were a teenager and put them back together. You know, I mean, they literally don't know the difference between a hubcap and a radiator cap, you know, and, uh, but yet they're out here driving a truck, you know, and, um, and it, it has it has it has changed the the industry. And I know these old timers are going to call them steering wheel holders, and you know it, it's the call. It's the reason that the trucking industry has gone to hell in a handbasket. But bottom line is the industry has grown to the point where there you can't. There's not enough kids who grew up on a farm to fill all these jobs. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we got to we got to have this freight's got to be delivered by somebody. What are you going to do? You know. Yeah. Um, so. I had a I had an interesting experience with dash cams. Um, I started my career obviously with the big carriers, U.S. Express, Werner, Schneider, and um, <clears throat> when my truck blew up in April of seventeen and and I was done, I'm like, well, I had to have a job, so I called Swift, you know. And seven days later, I was driving one of their trucks, right. And when I was in orientation at Swift, this was in April of twenty seventeen. Uh, they made this big announcement and they said, drivers, we have heard your cries and we care about you and we are going to turn off your driver facing dash cams and the crowd roared. Right. (laughs) So about three weeks later, I'm in a truck stop and I might've been transport topics, but it was one of those trucking publications and they had a story about driver facing dash cams and how fleets were being, uh, uh, rec- it was being recommended by uh, their attorneys and insurance companies to turn off those driver-facing dash cams because yeah. they were more liable. They were more liability than they were worth. And I went, "You sons of bitches! You didn't care anything about what he said. Now I know why you turned it off." Uh, <laughs> well, I can. So, so it's great for coaching, and I've I've even recommended for some fleets. Maybe maybe you want to turn on the driver-facing when it's a new driver, you know, for a few weeks, let's, you know, let's coach, let's make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And this is obviously in company owned equipment, not, not owner operators. Um, Or maybe, you know, maybe that can be kind of like, Hey, you're, you're on probation. You're going to be, you're going to be on the driver facing cam for the next week or two, because, you know, you made a bad lane, whatever the case you can use it for uh, 
you, you can still use it, but from a liability standpoint, you're much more likely to uncover liability than if you just had the thing off and it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I just, for the record, I don't, I've been in Richie's truck. I don't want to see what's happening in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't unsee some things, Brian. Okay. Right. So uh, now I, I do real quick. I want to read what you sent me this reptile theory because this is gold and everybody needs to just be thinking about this. The reptile theory is a trial strategy that attempts to use fear and anger to make the jury dislike the defendant so strongly that they will award a plaintiff a grossly excessive amount of damages. The plaintiff's attorney will seek to activate the juror's survival mode instincts by presenting the defendant's conduct as highly dangerous and worthy of punishment. The defendant's conduct will be portrayed as a threat to the safety of the general public and the award as a deterrent needed to protect the community at large. The reptile theory appeals to the juror's emotions in place of any rational, impartial evaluation of the evidence. This right here is why, you know, people, a lot of people will they'll look at a situation and go, well, um, if you didn't do anything wrong, you have nothing to worry about, and you need to go, you know, take your chances with the jury of your peers. Uh, jury of your peers. Listen, uh, I, I've been in Facebook comment sections, and I know who are my jury. The, 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 I know the 12 people are going to come from those comment sections. I don't feel any comfort whatsoever if a slick-talking uh, trial lawyer is going to be talking to those people, I'm going to prison. Like, I, you know, okay? I'm going to tell you that million-dollar liability policy that most trucking companies have that isn't going to hold a candle. It's not yeah. going to hold a candle. Yeah, well, you know, the trucking companies, of course, they're they're advocating for, um, you know, changing in the the, the 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 putting limits on these on these verdicts, obviously, to to stop this because it's getting. I mean, they're they're just it, it's getting very difficult to even. I mean, you as a broker, I'm sure you know this. I mean, I, I'm sure it's people you just can't. I don't care how much money they want to give you, you can't take it. You know, you you can't accept their money because the risk is too high. Yeah, I mean the 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 fifty thousand dollar claim five years ago is is a two hundred thousand dollar claim now, you know, and it's just out of hand. So, you know, we're we're we stay pretty involved in the state associations and uh, the, the TCAs and the ATAs and whatnot to try to do what we can to bring you know listen to them. Let us you know tell tell us what to do and how we can help. And you know, a lot of it is just you know public awareness. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get what they deserve, you know, what they what they deserve, but what they, you know, indemnification is to put someone back to the point they were before the time of loss. Make them whole. Make them whole again. Not hit the lottery. And look, I've mm-hmm. I've I've been a fleet owner too. I think I told you I told you guys that. I've owned trucks. Um I've had drivers and I even owned a trucking company with my own authority for a few years. And I've got dash cam footage of people running into my truck and then telling the police officer that, oh, oh, he ran into me. We pull up the, look, if you don't have a dash cam in your truck these days, you're you're just asking for it. You're asking for it. And the other thing is you can't be, I mean, we had an incident just not too long ago where a a driver didn't even realize that 
that he'd struck a car. Now, you know, he was very trusting and, and, and you know, it, it didn't really protect his rights because he didn't, he, he wasn't, how can I say it, Chris? He, 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 he didn't protect his, his position because he didn't do it. He didn't take any photographs. Um, oh, you know, man. there's, there's, we, we have, and now the, the, the scratch on our trailer is barely visible. We don't know what the car looked like because no picture, but now they're claiming bodily injury, you know? So again, c- cover your own asses out there. Okay. You know, you mm-hmm. get involved in something, get witnesses, take pictures, you know, pret- just assume that they're going to try to make a federal case out of it. And, and, and protect yourself at the time it happened. Certainly don't talk to them and start admitting guilt. Um, you know, yeah. and, and we've, we've had that happen too, you know, so um, along the way. But anyway. Well, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were talking about the, the trial lawyers and the there's another group of people that I absolutely detest. Um, and it's these safety advocates. Um, they're just narcissistic sociopaths that this is what i thought chris thought of what i was when i made that <laughs> what, I that said, was that's, what I was, that's what i was afraid you were thinking about me when you invited me on here i'm like he's gonna oh. try to roast me <laughs> no that I've, I've watched over the years as these people um which are they're they're obsessed with power they love to be you know entangled in the government and they exploit the pain and suffering of people who have lost family members or, or, or you know, sons and daughters in tr- accidents with trucks. And they just, they do that, what was it, the, the, they, they, they seek to use the fear and anger, right? And they're not doing it to a jury. They're doing it to the, to the general public. And it makes me sick because... It would be one thing if their education was, you know, hey, well, you know, uh, yeah, my family member was run over by a truck, but, you know, well, here's the context of what happened. Or maybe the truck driver was really a, really negligent. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Um, but they don't ever talk about anything except trying to make people demonize an entire industry and every person that's in it. Um and I remember that the, I think it was Truck Safety Coalition. Do you remember when they were trying to get the double 33s, the 33 foot pups? You know, we've got 24s or 26 right now, like FedEx and then pull. And they were trying to get clearance to pull 33 foot trailers instead of 24 foot trailers because they wanted more cubes for all these, you know, Amazon packages and stuff. And they had one of the senators, I don't know if it was Feinstein or Barbara Boxer or one of those, and they, so they brought a, a day cab with two 33-foot trailers to Washington, and they parked it out in front of the Capitol, and they set up their podium, and the lady's like, this truck is as long as an eight-story building. And I'm like, you know what, my 53-foot trailer with my sleeper truck, you know what, you know what the length of my trailer is? It's the exact same as that one, but it was... It was just fear. Just make everybody terrified. Um, those trucks aren't going to be any heavier. They're under the same weight limits that are. They want more cubic space to haul your Amazon crap, people. That's what they wanted. But, you know, the, the average... I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, but that's, that's the... 
that's what I see. It's, it's the sensationalism. It's trying to get people to have an emotional reaction instead of a logical consideration of something. And I, I just, I despise those people as much as I do the ambulance chasers because really they're, they're no different to me. Now, I would like you to talk a little more about your experience owning trucks because um, you have you have the uh, experience that we can talk about this lease versus authority thing uh, from the perspective of doing it and the inspect the uh, perspective of insuring it. So give us a little thumbnail of what your experience was owning trucks. So <clears throat> owning trucks under my own authority. You want to start yeah. with that? Okay. Yeah. So when I started, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I even, you know, I borrowed $40,000, this is years ago, from a family member. Um, and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> even, financing <laughs> the truck and, even financing the truck and the trailer, it wasn't enough. Um, but, you know, I started with one. I, I did have a client that was going to let me run some of their freight. Um, and so at least I had something to start with. It was a little nerve wracking. Um, so started with one and, you know, the driver that I hired as, as, as great as he was, he still didn't really know anything about truck mechanics. So when something started to go wrong, he didn't really know how to either tell me or understand, um, that it was going wrong at all. So, right. you know, pretty big repair bills, pretty tough time. You know, and, and that trend continued as I added three or four uh, before I really realized it. <clears throat> so probably a year and a half in or so, I changed directions and said, you know, I'm going to going to make sure that the drivers know how to keep an eye on the, the reefer trailers and, you know, the tires and, the, you know, make sure they know a little more about what they're talking about, because, you know, drivers are pulling over on you in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, I know everything. I know everything. You know, so. <laughs> So after about you gotta, three years, you gotta, you gotta talk to him about you gotta talk to him about medicine and law. Okay, they're really good at at that at those, those subjects. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I ended up. Uh, I, you know, things were things were okay. I, you know, I had some dedicated freight. I I did get into hauling like avocados across the country, and we had kind of a system, kind of a relay system going on for a little while. And um, you know, I, I ended up shutting it down. Uh, and I, I, I did hire an, an owner operator or two for a little while too, but I let it run for three years. And honestly, the reason why I did that was because I wanted to know everything that I could learn from that experience for my clients and for the benefit of, of them and just the benefit of my future in insurance. So, that, you know, <laughs> when somebody says that, uh, their BOC three went inactive, or I guess that would be something that I would know. I don't know. I just, I wanted to learn more. So I did that. I, I got out of it at the beginning of 2019, three years, almost on the day. Um, probably won't ever do that again. <laughs> it was, it was tough. And, you know, you, you hire somebody, you hire someone to handle dispatch and compliance and paperwork. And then, you, you know, sometimes you find problems with that and you can't ever get someone it seems like to do it as thoroughly or as accurately as you would do yourself so that's that's difficult that's difficult to do 
Um, my second experience in trucking was I decided I had a, I had a friend of mine who uh, was looking for a truck driving job. He had four or five years of experience and I knew that he knew mechanics. And so I started looking for an opportunity to put him in a truck and freight was booming. This was, you know, into 2020, first of 2021. And um, one of my broker clients actually told me about an opportunity. So instead of restarting the trucking company and the authority and all of that, I bought the truck, leased it on to a motor carrier, one of my clients, and put the driver in it and ran the freight that I brought to the table as well. And that was that, that worked out a lot better in that situation for me. Um, we actually, we actually turned some profit in 2021 and, um, for different reasons, you know, I ended up with three or four trucks, but for different reasons, my drivers kind of like one was one went active duty in the military. Uh, one was just sick and tired of driving trucks. And, you know, for, so for different reasons, I, it, I let it fizzle out and, and I happened to sell the trucks at a good time in the market. And I got very fortunate on that. So, uh, but the lease, the lease option worked a lot better for me than, than running the own authority, especially, I mean, I've got a lot, I'm very, actually very busy with insurance. So I don't have time to run a trucking company too. Yeah. Well, and like, like we've said on this so many times that we, um, uh, we do not believe, um, that getting an authority is bad or wrong or terrible. You shouldn't do it. What we believe is that if you are a first-time owner-operator, you should absolutely not get your own authority. You should learn how to run a business under the protection of a motor carrier. We choose Landstar for many reasons. But that if you take on that much responsibility uh, when you're a brand-new business, um, that you know it can be disastrous and that you sh absolutely shouldn't do that. And I would agree with you. Uh, wholeheartedly on that. If you, if you, if, if you don't have any experience, you know, dispatching or getting customer freight or any experience in compliance, m you know, much less having to manage the expenses and the revenue of your own truck. I don't think you should get an authority. You know, I don't think you're ready to get your own federal authority yet. Yeah. So that's my, it's just that's a, my it's a huge, yeah. huge responsibility and if you, you know, you, it's just risk. And what we talk about so much here is success in business being about managing risk. And if you're not managing risk and, and you're not accepting, you know, that's the thing that kills me about some of these people that fight us so hard. I'm like, listen, if you would just, just address the elephant in the room that it's at least more risky than being leased. But so many times they don't want to do that. They just want to, you know, like a monkey. They just want to fling feces at you. And, and, uh, but it's just, it's just risky. And if you want to have a trucking business that lasts, you need to start it slow and you need to learn all this stuff like maintenance and mechanics and accounting. And so it's just so risky to do it that way. Well, and yeah, like, totally. like, like, like Brian said, he was busy running the business. He didn't have time to learn how to be uh, 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 the regulatory and the compliance and all the requirements uh, that are required to keep your, your MC number um, 
going because if you don't do those things, you, you they take it away from you. You know, that's the whole purpose of the new entrant audit is to make sure that you're doing all these things that you're supposed to do. Well, most people who get their own authority are driving the truck. They're in the same situation. They're busy driving a truck. Guess what gets, gets let go? You know, all the details about keeping mm-hmm. compliant and meeting the regulations. And, and that's, that's, the, that's what we maintain here. You know, the, 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 you can pay somebody that's really good at doing that because regardless of what care it is, they got whole departments that take care of this and this and this and this while you're out here driving your truck. Yeah, you've got to give up some percentage to do that. But Brian, you know yourself, even if you're doing it yourself, you've got to, it costs you something to do it. Or it's not going to be done and it's going to cost you anyway. So, I mean, the, 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 the argument we always hear is that I don't want to give up, in our case, 35%. But yet nobody looks down and says, okay, what does it cost? And you brought it up before we got on the air. What is, what is, if the revenues were the same, what would the nets be between the two? Because you still have to pay those, uh, those, those different items out. You just pay it to different people instead of one person. You've still got to have insurance. You've still got to have a trailer. You still, I mean, all the things that you pay a, a, a carrier a percentage to do for you, you're not, you're not, uh, you're, you're not uh, limited or, or eliminated from doing that. You're just doing it on your own. Maybe at a higher price because you're not getting the benefit of the discounts. Um, you know, you're in a, you're in the business right now where uh, most people who are starting on authority have to deal with a pretty stiff insurance rate because they don't have the the uh, what's it called the the incident factor. What's the word that you use when you rate people uh, uh, based on their the number of accidents or tickets they've had or whatever? The, there's a there's a term a, for a it, ratio. Excuse. A ratio or a percentage or something. <clears throat> like a, you're not thinking about loss ratio, are you? Yeah, well, something like that. I mean, obviously, a history, if you're, a history. yeah. So if, you're you're a new motor carrier, and you go out and hit the load board, and you realize nine out of ten brokers won't work with you, for example, right? For the right. first six months, and you're paying, yeah. you know, really high insurance rates, right? And, uh, and especially the first year, because you don't have a track record, you know, an insurance company wants to see your track record. And if you're brand new, you're a higher risk to them, you know. So anyway, we, we get in this argument quite, quite often. And, and uh, usually when we're talking to people who are doing it for the first time, insurance becomes, we, we've got a couple of fleets that, uh, uh, with authority that have talked talk to us about bringing trucks to us. And one of them literally said, my insurance company will not accept my check. You know, I, I'm losing my authority because my I cannot insure my fleet. What do you do? <clears throat> yeah, that's probably a situation where they went to the last resort, and then they got canceled for you know late pay or whatever, and then they finally said, "We're not reinstating you because right. you've mm-hmm. we've gotten to this point too many times. You're too much of a risk." Right, mm-hmm. right. And in their mind, in their eyes, that's what it sure. sounds like. Okay, sure. So Phil's Phil's got a good question here. Um, Phil is our platform dispatcher uh, and platform driver extraordinaire. Um, so we have a group set up in our signal where everybody that does platform has to send pictures of their securement to be signed off on by Phil. 
Um, and I've, I've learned a ton just watching and reading this. And his question is, can you talk about proper load securement and its relation to accident insurance claims? Am I still muted? No. Oh, no. No. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, and, and the DOT has the regulations there for a reason. You know, load securement is extremely important. You get a load shift and all of a sudden you become top heavy or you could, you know, you, you go to braking, you reduce your stopping distance because the car goes back there moving. Um, I don't know how to talk about its relationship, you know, its relation to accidents. But, I mean, obviously something falls off of that trailer or out of that trailer, you know, it's most likely cause an accident. Um, I, I think a, a good a, a good example. Um, he put a video in in the in the group today. He's hauling a uh, I think it's a fourteen wide piece of flat steel, right? And you know he's like, well, he was there, and a bunch of people were throwing straps over it and taking off. Well, he put chains on it, and then he put X chains at the front, and he put X chains at the back. You know, well, the exchange on the front, I understood because I don't want that thing coming through the back of my cab. And he's like, well, somebody walked up. Well, why are you putting exchange on the back? And he's like, well, what happens if I get cut off? Uh, you know, car runs me off the road and that load hits something, uh, you know, a concrete barrier. Where's it going? Backwards. Well, now the front chains are loose. So if it hits something and it goes backwards and then I'm out of control and I hit something, guess what it's going to do now? You know, and so those are the those extra steps that are not just common sense for uh, for for self uh, um, uh, preservation. You know, it's what happens if the worst case scenario. And I think that's probably where we struggle a lot with getting people to understand moving from company driver to owner operator. You've got to think about the worst case scenario because it could happen. Yeah. So how are you going to prepare yourself? How are you going to indemnify yourself? What steps are you going to take now that it's your butt on the line? Whereas before, you know, you were just a company driver. Well, if you didn't secure, ah, what a big deal. You know, now well, it's it, you. Yeah. It, you, you may, right. So you have some more risk in the game now as when you may not have as a company driver. It's, um, you know, low securements, extremely important. Um, it, it's like, you know, to haul liquids, you've got to have a tanker's endorsement, right? It doesn't matter if mm -hmm. the liquid's in totes. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, it's because you're, they're preparing you for how the vehicle feels and how it changes when it when it maneuvers. So, yeah, from a risk management standpoint, that is very important. Reminder, however, that company drivers are also, uh, I mean, you're you're the you're the driver of this truck. You know, you're the pilot of this truck. You're responsible from the front bumper to the rear DOT bumper and everything within. And so, um, I, I, so there's a lot of, you know, your shippers that won't let you inspect the load inside the trailer and how it's secured before they shut the doors and put the seal on it. Driver, you're responsible. Mm -hmm. You're responsible. So keep that in mind. There we, I, am, I am to this day, probably, uh, on a list at a Dollar General DC banned from the property uh, because imagine that they throw all the boxes in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have, they have these, they, they call them roll tainers. It's like a big shopping cart, right? They put all their stuff in and then you have a lift gate and you roll in the store. Well, the guys in the warehouse were bad about not securing those with a strap. They had this strap that would hook. 
and so many times. I mean, I got I got hurt on that. You know, got hit in the face with boxes of bleach and about had my arms tore off, you know. And so I'd kind of had enough of their lack of securement. So uh, I would always check, at least to make sure the last row had a strap on it, you know, because I didn't so want to open the door. So when you open the door, it doesn't all fall on you? Correct. Well, they had this smart ass that worked at the guard shack, and by the time I walked from the truck to the back, he had already sealed the trailer. And I'm like, dude, I need to check my securement. And he was like, eh, too bad. So I turned around and went back to the traffic office. And by the time I got done with the conversation, I was banned from Dollar General for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, <clears throat> so my face is probably on the wall, you know, somewhere up there. But I'm like, guys, I, you, because I wanted them to break the seal, let me inspect it, put a new seal on it. Absolutely not. So words were said and things were uttered and, Mothers were talked about, and you know, that's how it's you know. <clears throat> such a shock. Shit I can't happens, believe you know. <clears throat> my trucks, my trucks have pulled that freight, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so, is 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 platform are our platform fleets are they more expensive to insure than van fleets? No, no, okay, interesting. They're not. Are they and less? So when you say platform, you mean flatbed or RGN, drop yeah, deck, yeah, all of those yeah, that yeah. qualify yeah. as flatbed, right? Um, you know, and insurance rates can vary so much by state and, and by type of operation that it's, it's hard to say sometimes. But what I can tell you is that <clears throat> there are some insurance companies that shy away from flatbeds. And it may have been because they had a bad experience one time, you know, mm -hmm. you know, something might have fallen off and hurt somebody real bad. And like, we don't ever want to deal with this again. Just don't do flatbeds anymore. So could it put you in a situation where there's, you know, instead of three or four really competitive insurance companies, you know, companies get competitive on your account versus only two or three, because that one didn't want to do flatbed possibly, possibly, but you know, it's incorrect to make a broad statement to say that it costs more in insurance to run a flatbed operation because it's, that's, an, you know, that's false. Have you, so, have you had any experience with fleets that like do the, the, the big high wide and heavy stuff, the specialized oversize? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Interestingly I, enough, go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. I was going to say, interestingly enough, uh, trucking companies that haul hazmat, as long as everything is, you know, rocking and rolling good, can have cheaper insurance. And that's because they're in, but seeing his eyebrows. <laughs> um, and that's because they're, they're specialized and they know the drivers are highly qualified in, in easy in a lot now. More careful hey hey um general strokes okay i'm not talking about everybody every time <laughs> that, but but i i think that hazardous material haulers or, or motor carriers uh tend to have a better track record because of the nature of business now your the track record of the the niche market is what drives the rate it's not the other way around. So, right. you know, it, 
you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Landstar has a hazmat department that is absolutely second to none. I mean, they're, they're incredible. I, I went to a shipper in Kentucky one time, and, um, and I always would take a picture of my paperwork, send it to hazmat, have them review it, you know, and she was like, oh, well, you know, the proper shipping name's wrong and, and this, that's wrong, and, and I went back in, and I'm like, hey, we need to fix this. And the guy's like, well, I've never had anybody else say that. I'm like, well, I don't care about anybody else. I'm telling you that it's wrong, and we're going to fix it. And he's like, well, I ain't going to do it. I said, well, unload it. He's like, you would have me unload this trailer. I said, listen, bro, let me explain this to you. Landstar has a, a dungeon in Jacksonville, and they have a bunch of people kidnapped, and all they do is feed them hazmat paperwork, okay? I promise you they have forgotten more than you ever hope to learn. So if she says we're going to change it, we're by God going to change it, or you go unload it. He got the white out, out and he changed it, you know. But I mean, there. But the thing is, if you call them, if you'll do something so simple as email a picture of your paperwork to them and have them sign off on it, they will follow you and defend you to the end. But if you don't, good luck to you, you know, because you had the opportunity to have them sign off on your paperwork. But I've seen guys roll up to haul totes, you know, and they set the totes in the back and they slam the doors and take off. And here I am putting a strap on every one. And, and, and the guy's like, well, I've never seen anybody else do that before. And I'm like, well, you know, it's the law. You know, it's literally law that you have to strap these down um, every single one, you know. Um, oh, I've never seen a driver do that before. Well, okay. How many times have we heard that? Oh. <clears throat> Plenty. Um, here's a question. Uh, does anyone offer loss of use insurance? I would expect that the premiums for that on a new unreliable truck would reveal the major hidden cost of buying or leasing a new truck. That's a, that's a hell of a there's way a little, to word that. That's a little bit of a... <laughs> only here, only on this podcast would you get that question, okay? <laughs> I, I get the question. Let me, let me dissect the rest of this for a moment. I would okay. expect that the premiums for on a new unreliable. Okay, I get it. Okay, he's ma he's um, making the statement. He's making the statement there. Okay, the question is yeah, loss no. loss of revenue, loss of income, interrupted uh, income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called it's called it's it's called downtime coverage, and um, you know some some insurance policies will have it uh, with a stipulation on it that it doesn't start paying anything until after thirty days. Because right. mm. you should be able to get a truck, a dam, you know, a, a, a truck after an accident repaired within within thirty days. But it, you know, it, it probably most. There's only, <clears throat> I guess, there's only a few insurance companies that actually offer that. A few of you top tier insurance companies, but um, they end up paying you like a hundred thirty or hundred fifty dollars a day. Like it's not much money. So, yeah. that, you know, that that's. And I'm glad you guys are out here educating the public on awareness and the cost and, and the risk of being in business because insurance companies aren't going to pay for everything. They, they're just not, you know, your truck breaks down. They're not going to pay for that. You know, some mm -hmm. of them have mechanical breakdown towing as a throw in up to a certain limit or whatnot. Even that has a deductible though, mm -hmm. but there, there are many, many risks of being in the trucking business. There are many regulations to follow. Um, there are a, a lot of things to think about. I think you guys are exactly on point when you say 
the company drivers need to experience some of that risk, you know, before getting their own authority. I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I don't handle insurance on new authorities unless they're a referral and they've got a business plan and a, and a damn good resume. Now I've, I've helped companies get started before uh, they had never had their authority and help them grow to 50, hundred plus trucks. Um, but it's not, it's not for everybody. And it's, it's, it's displayed. It's on display for us by the fact that over half of them don't make it past a year or two. Yeah. So fully agree with you guys that owner, they need, you need to become an owner operator and you get adapted and get adjusted, understand what it takes. And <clears throat> I would even go a step further and, and, you know, under many circumstances, uh, m- most of your business models that end up successful have customer freight. They have customer and, freight. They have as far as as far as having their own authority, as the reason for having the authority, because they have direct right. customer freight. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would right. agree. Because yeah. so, so many people get in the business, they get their own authority, and they run the load board. Right. I mean, anybody can do that. You know, and you're competing with the masses for you're competing with the masses for the crumbs. Yeah. Well, and 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 I think and I've said this, you know, look, if you're if your long life desire was to build a, a trucking company that, you know, does sales calls and gets its own freight, I can understand getting started with an authority. Now, not after you've not been leased for a couple of years and got a sound business, but. Personally, I mean, I'd rather be punched in the face by Mike Tyson than do a sales call. Like that—that that, is that—that that is, that's a seventh level of hell for me to go think the idea of going and knocking on somebody's door and trying to get freight. I would—I'd rather—I'd rather. No, I, I'd rather be locked in a phone have. booth with an alligator. It's one of the benefits you guys have with Landstar. Is Landstar has a lot of you know most I mean tons hell yeah, tons of customer freight. I said, you know, the, I don't remember, I think it was the eight or nine favorite words I've ever heard was I wanted to call you before I posted this. I mean, it, it, there's nothing more I love to hear when my phone rings and an agent says, Hey, I wanted to call you before I posted this. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, um, but, but that comes from right. years of relationship building and them knowing that a, if I have a truck available, that truck is not going to screw them over. That truck's going to communicate. They're going to pick up on time. They're going to deliver on time. Uh, and it's taken a long time to build those relationships, and I'm happy to have them. But I will also very gladly pull a third-party C.H. Robinson load because if if the check clears, I don't give a damn who's paying for it. It doesn't matter to me. I don't, it could be quadruple brokered. I don't care. doesn't matter. Pay me, and I'll haul it. That's all I'm worried about. Um, now, here's a question. And I think there's a couple of ways in. It says, I need UIIA insurance for the port. I'm in Norfolk, Virginia, new authority. How much? So would you like to offer a website address or phone number? Because obviously giving quotes on the podcast is not a good idea. But how would you like to be contacted for st- for yeah. uh, stuff like this? We have we have a little portal that's easy to remember. It's cia-trucking.com. Uh, Let me verify that real quick. It's been a little while. CIA-trucking.com. 
That's it. CIA-trucking.com. And if they will fill that form out, it'll go to one of my team members and uh, one of us will reach out. Okay. Why don't you explain to people what UIA insurance is? Uh, so UIA is uniform intermodal. Uh, what's the rest of that? Uniform intermodal interchange agreement, something like that. Mm. And it is a contract that you must adhere to if you're going to pull any freight that is at the ports or at most rail yards. So when you decide to pull freight from ports or rail yards, there's even more regulation and stuff that you got to get through in that contract. And they normally provide, or they have a chassis pull. And That's I have right. clients that <clears throat> yeah, they use the chassis pull, you know, <clears throat> for best results on, from a CSA uh, vehicle maintenance basic mm -hmm. standpoint, you want to have your own chassis <laughs> with LED lights and good stripes, you know, reflective stripes and all that good stuff and good tires. Because what happens is intermodal companies, they go into the port and they're there to pick up a load and they, they're there to get it. And the chassis has problems. Well, now the driver is going to ignore those problems Otherwise, he's going to be sitting there waiting on the, the chassis pull shop for two hours or more, or they might have to take that box and put it on a different chassis or who knows what. And so they get a lot of DOT uh, violations because of the lack of, you know, patience with the chassis pull. But anyway, the UIIA agreement <clears throat> requires the motor carrier to carry trailer interchange insurance coverage which is a form of physical damage for those trailers that are covered under that agreement, meaning the, meaning the chassis pull trailer. Chassis, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, the <clears throat> chassis. So even if, even if you have your own chassis, you, you still have to sign the agreement and you still have to have the coverage too. So, so I never knew that. So, so you can in, in intermodal, you can own your own chassis and then they just set the box on you. You can. Well, that's cool. Well, because that's, I mean, listen, I've, I've watched a bunch of those containers go up and down the road, and I'm like, mm. you know, <laughs> I've, I've seen it. I've down. seen it. Yeah, yeah, no thanks. I'll pass. Um, so, uh, scary one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the scary ones are the short 20-footers that are overweight. <laughs> yeah. So, back to the interruption of revenue coverage, that kind of a spinoff of that, though, is mechanical breakdown coverage. Is that an insurance, a truck insurance product, or is that like a, like a repair industry? In other words, do you write that? Does that come from, from truck insurance companies, or does that come from mechanical shop? Like a warranty coverage, no. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. actually a part of, it's actually a part of some insurance companies' policies. They offer it as an additional you know, value added endorsement, or you can maybe buy it along with a group of other like deluxe type coverages. Um, but yeah, mechanical breakdown towing, uh, they, they normally have a sub limit in there of like 2,500 bucks or something. And then they'll no, I meant, I meant, I meant, I meant warranty on the actual repairs. Like you blow an engine and you get your engine replaced that kind of warranty. No, no. Okay. No, the insurance doesn't really offer warranties of any kind. Um, 
on that on that topic, little sidebar. Um, you know, there's a some kind of thing you can buy through Landstar. It's a warranty. And I was thinking about this the other day because I've got a client that's down right now with an engine problem. And I talked to the shop, um, and the guy's like, "Well, you know, he's going to be down two or three weeks probably." And I just the, I'd never thought of the question before until I went, "Hmm." I wonder what that answer would have been if he wasn't waiting on warranty approval. Because we know what's wrong with the truck. You know, it needs a front cover and it needs a gear, right? If he could just stroke a check or swipe his card, I wonder how much faster his truck gets repaired um, than waiting on all of this warranty approval stuff. You know, because people, they put way, way, way too much faith. I even saw on a Landstar group today, it was like the 10 things that, you know, you should have in your business. And number one was, well, you need, you better have a 2019 to 2022 truck with a warranty. And I'm going, good luck with that, you know, because as Larry has said so eloquently many times, run on down to the dealership, walk in the, the driver's waiting room and ask them what year their truck is. Promise you it's not a 2007, you know, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, so it seems like, if you don't understand basic insurance, you don't understand warranties, these companies have to make a profit, all right? They're not going to do anything other than what they need to do, uh, contractually need to do. But if you don't even understand how it works, and so many people don't, which is why we have you here, um, you know, you can make decisions that are counterproductive and risky to your business thinking that you have a safety net that doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Happens a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, Guys, so I'm going to take a 30, I'm going to take a 30 second break. I'll okay. be right back. All right. Sure. <clears throat> we have a much calmer group tonight. We don't have any, we I haven't seen any, any trolls yet. I know we've we've lost the trolls tonight. I guess they didn't want to hear about insurance. So that's <laughs> uh, a boring topic. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, here. Yeah. Hey, here's a question: Is it insurance or is it insurance? That depends on what part of the country. <laughs> it depends on where you live. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let's see if there's any comments that we can answer while he's gone. Um, Richie wants live from Landstar and Indy featuring Larry Long. That might be pay-per-view, okay? <laughs> so. Uh, <clears throat> so here's a question that came up in the comments. Uh, does Landstar have the same percentage of drop and hook in flatbed as in drive-in? That would be no. No, uh, you there, can't is, drop there are no There are no drop and hook opportunities in. Uh, of course, Phil's been answering all these questions here in the yeah. comments, but I uh, figured I'd bring it up for the rest of it. Uh, Rocky had a comment here. It's, it is crazy, Larry. If, uh, now, Rocky is a MD alignment uh, shop in Jacksonville. He says, if I were to dismount or mount tires, it's almost $85,000 a year for insurance, and that's why I don't touch tires. Lord have mercy. Really? No wonder uh, tires are expensive. Yeah. Uh, some, this must some, this must have been in relation to your crack about TA. The best TA could offer would be a half price meal at Country Pride. <laughs> you know, it reminds me. It, you, I'm sure everybody knows about 
Southwest stranded all they 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 canceled six thousand or sixty thousand anyway they left people sitting for a week during Christmas and and you know what they're they're um, offering to the customers twenty five thousand air mile points oh yeah <clears throat> that's uh, that's supposed <clears throat> to make you so now you that won't buy a round trip ticket so now you have to spend more money to use their point offer to go back to somebody that screwed you over and left you in the airport over, over mm-hmm. Christmas. Well, there was yeah. a, there was a fantastic TikTok. This lady, she was like, uh, she was like, I would like to present to you my rain man husband who will explain what happened with Southwest. And he just uh, rolled up and yeah. he made it said, you know, most airlines are hub to hub and Southwest yeah. is not. And so they're right. not doing, you know, Atlanta to where and back and forth. And so once their thing gets screwed up, all hell breaks loose. And that's pretty much what happened to them. Well, all, all the right, pilots, Brian. all the people predicted it. They, they, you know, they weren't surprised by it at all. And <clears throat> anyway, we're off the topic here. So okay, we're, we're um, way off the rails, Brian. So we need you to bring us back. <clears throat> There's a couple questions see. there. Um, um, let's do Luke. Uh, my question is regarding to freight brokerage firms. I know some brokers carry cargo insurance just in case the carrier's insurance denies a claim, but do they carry any other insurance? I'm trying to. Okay. So yes, they're, um, you know, they're, they're in business too. So there's, there's a lot of different things they may cover or they may, they may different type of policies they may have, but cargo is tough for freight brokers. A lot of those policies only want to cover what the motor carrier's policy would have covered. I don't really want to get into that. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot to talk about. It's a heavy subject. But um, they also carry contingent auto liability coverage because brokers get bro- brought into lawsuits all the time, too. You know, if, if there's a real bad accident, the attorney's going to bring everybody in. They'll bring the shipper, the broker, the maybe even, the, you know, um, the manufacturer, the equipment. <clears throat> Who knows? <laughs> um, so they they require they do their normal business insurance, their their EPLI, maybe their E and O and general liability, and they have but they have contingent auto liability in many cases also. Of course, they also have their freight broker bond, which is required by FMCSA that to make sure yeah. that motor carriers get paid. So yes, they do carry other types of insurance. Now here's a question that I can't believe I didn't think to ask. Thank you, Evan. Uh, do you guys purchase bobtail insurance or do you get used bobtail insurance when you purchase a new truck? How do you get a purchased truck home? Cause we, Larry and I've had this conversation so many times about trying to move a truck that, cause if we get one leased onto Landstar, it's covered. I mean, from the very minute it passes the inspection, they sign off on the paperwork, we're covered. But until then, if I've got a truck sitting in Missouri and I need to get it to West Virginia, how do I cover myself? when I'm not leased to a carrier. That's a doozy. And I've got to be careful how I answer this because I'm answering it to the public and I don't want to say anything that people can take and use against me later. I will, I will tell you this. We'll say there's a way to do it. Um, There's, there's damn few options. I will tell you this. Okay. Uh, And, and the, and, and the, one of the options that's the easiest to find They'll do it, but they'll, but you have to give them your business for one year. <clears throat> I'm not going to say who that was, uh, who it is, oh. but 
but um, they'll write it. But you have to oh, okay. you have to commit to a year uh, of coverage. You know, um, we have found a couple of other uh, Waffen Owen that have done, but nobody consistently. You know, um, it is a problem. You know, it it affects a lot of times our decision to buy trucks or if we're buying a truck from another Landstar um, BCO, we just we listen. Offer to pay you whatever it takes to leave it in the system till I can pick it up. Because that's a hell of a lot cheaper than me trying to find insurance for it. It's very difficult to do. I wish you could write this. You can write this. We might give you our insurance. So I'm going <laughs> well, to dangle a little carrot. about that. I'm going to dangle a little carrot on it. So. There, there, there are ways to do it. And I, I've, just, I've got to be careful about what I say on the air because, I mean, there's a way to do it legitimately. Um, <clears throat> but it's, 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 it's so, some gray area. And so what's it? what's it called i mean it's it's because what you're after is liability well, it's you're commercial not, insurance so it's commercial right. insurance so if you you're, you're buying a truck to go into business right but let's say right. i'm assuming this gentleman is a person and okay let's say he buys it personally if you buy the truck personally <clears throat> call your call your personal insurance company your personal insurance agent and say hey i bought a truck it's not going to be used for business yet right so what are, you, what are you doing with it? Well, I'm using it for personal use. Well, could you call it recreational? Maybe. Could you, you? And between the point of the time where you've got a bill of sale and you've actually registered it, there's a period in there. If that bill of sale has your personal name on it and not a business name, you're not using it for company use. Could you be taking it home to put in your yard and fix up and turn it to an RV? I'm just saying. There's, you could be. You might be able you might be able to do that. You have to check with your own a lawyer, your own your own agent about that stuff. Don't ask me about that if you do that. But but if you're a business, let's say he's a <clears throat> if he's got his own authority, he's absolutely got to put it on his policy. You know, I'm assuming that this would be a, somebody that's thinking about leasing on or something like that. I understand that that is tough, but anybody can go to Progressive's website and do a quote for their company and get a short-term policy. You might have to book it as an annual policy and cancel it when you're done with it. That's, that's exactly another way to get that. That's, that's another way of doing it. I, I have, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I hate to admit that to on, but that's, that it was my last resort is I had to go through the whole thing. Like I'm giving them this business. And two weeks later, I, I, I canceled, you know, now I don't know if they'll let me do it again. I want to say there might be a program out there that's built for this. You would have to do some Google searching on it. Yeah. Well, so this I'm, leads I'm me, this leads me to two secondary questions. Um, one is, and I know a guy that did this. He's got a big, like hundred fifty thousand dollar fifth wheel. It's a doozy. He bought a retired Freightliner Columbia, a single axle that used to be a FedEx truck, and he turned it into his fifth wheel hauler. And he registered it with the state as an RV. Um, so his insurance company, I guess, is just treating that like a recreational vehicle, even though it's a Class 8 truck? I've done it okay. before. I've okay. done it before. And being in, being in racing, you know, uh, we've got to haul some pretty big trailers around sometimes. So, mm. I've, you know, okay. and I've got, I've got friends that race that are also, you know, trucking company owners and, you know, they, they get those things classified as RVs. They get on their, 
their uh, regular insurance policy and it's, <clears throat> you know, it's dirt cheap, but you don't want to, you don't, you know, you've got your, your business lines you can't cross. And that's why I was saying, you got to be careful about that. The thing needs to be in your personal name. It can't have an apportion tag on it, you know, so use, you know, right. proceed with your, proceed with caution and know what you're doing. If you're going to try something like that, and these, it needs to not have your company associated with it. If you're going to do that. Okay. My, and, my and like secondary, anything, like anything, if nothing goes wrong, it's no problem. It's just what happens when shit goes wrong. And now you've called it this and it's really not. And you know, you get the hammer involved and you know, there's a lot of exposure yeah. there, Brian, you know? Uh, yeah. But excellent question, Evan. And, you know, do some Google research in there, I would say, and see if you can find some, some sort of trip insurance or something. It seems so like there my, needs to be a program out there. My secondary question to that is if like for us, you know, we're, we're looking for lunatic trucks, you know, and I would love to find a $5,000 truck, but maybe it don't run. Maybe it's got a bad transmission and I'd love to have a toter, you know, the hook on my fifth wheel and go get it. Right. Well, we don't, we don't know how, how Landstar would feel about that. We can't really, you know, I don't know because do we have to cover it up? Do we have to, you know, what do we have to do? Or what if we just had a truck that wasn't Landstar that Blue Ribbon owned that we had, it's like, does a, I guess what I'm getting to, does a product exist that if we had a truck that we weren't using to haul freight with, but I had a toter on it and I used it to go get a truck and bring it back and all it did was sit here not for hire we're not going to pull anybody else's stuff but does a product exist for that i guess is what i'm getting at mm -hmm. you, you would need to consult with landstar about that first because if you know it's being used in the in the business of landstar then right they, i'm they saying if be, it wasn't if we just had a spare so, so what what you would I, right well what i'm saying is is even if you had a spare like who are you going to register it to you know, are you going to register at Blue Ribbon? Well, now Blue Ribbon's under contract with Landstar. See what I'm saying? There's oh, okay. The, you see what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, If yeah. you started like if you started like a separate entity and you said it was Blue Ribbon's Toter LLC, <laughs> you know, um, then then yeah, you could get some commercial insurance and liability to be able to use that as a spare, you know, as a spare truck to go fetch trucks with. And which so is, regular commercial liability would cover that. Yes. Including the truck you're towing? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got physical damage on that truck already, right? Yeah, you should. I mean, I think, obviously, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got, you have a truck that you're using as the toter, and you have a truck you're buying, so you do have some financial exposure, so I guess you would want to have physical damage on one or both, you know, to at least cover it in the case of a loss. But the big thing is the liability, you know, because those. So if, so if you did this under a different like LLC or a different business, then under that insurance policy where uh, you're a tow truck, but you're not for hire, you know, you also want the on hook coverage to, to cover whatever you're hauling with it. So that would work. You know, that would work if, if you had, a, and the reason why I say consult with Landstar, there's probably other BCOs that do this, that have a, an extra truck sitting by with a boom attached to it, ready to go fetch trucks that are broke down. Happens quite right. frequently. And but and this is this is this is the type of scenario. Listen, I am a I am a 100% uh, ask forgiveness rather than permission guy. 
but this is not one of those scenarios where I necessarily want to do that. Right. Cause if it goes bad, you know, I, I don't, I don't want the, you know, the thing to, to come loose and, and take out a minivan and then Landstar's like, what the hell are you doing? Canceled, you know, and put everything that we do at risk for a $5,000 truck, you know, or, or really what, what turns out to be a $2,500 tow bill, you know, uh, we, we could have towed it for, for that, but it's just one of those things we've thought about so many times that we never really could get the answer. Does the product exist? Is it viable? Is it something that we could do? Um, you know, well, being contracted like you guys are, if you're, you know, if blue ribbon has purchased a truck and you're driving that truck back, your li- your liability is is already covered. Not unless not if we don't have at least on not if we don't have that truck leased on the Landstar. Ha- having okay. been inspected, it has to pass a pre lease inspection. Now, once it does, and they give us okay. a truck number, covered. Gotcha. Instantly. So you guys are talking about fetching these trucks while they're disabled or while they need work getting them back home so that you can work on them before you lease right. them on. Okay. Correct. Right. Yeah. Cause we can't lease them on until they've been inspected. Well, they're not going to pass inspection most of the time without a lot of work. So we got to either do the work there, which is to our disadvantage because now we're trusting people that we don't know. If we got it back to where we, our network is, then we, you know, we, we don't have that problem, but the problem is getting it back. It's, it's, it's always been a problem with us, you know, is trying to get a truck that we've purchased back to West Virginia and have it properly insured. And like I say, we've done it two or three different ways. I'm not sure I can go back and repeat some of them because I, I don't, there may be bridges burned there because I had, I'm sorry. It's, it's, if, if it's in 500 miles, we're going to tow it. You know, I'm going to call the record service and say, go get it and bring it back. You know, it's going to be a couple grand. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal. But if I see a truck I really, really like that's in Texas or Nebraska or, you know, upper Midwest, and it's 1,000, 1,500 miles, and I could, you know, I could drive up there in a rental car with a bunch of toolboxes and get it running enough to either drive it back or I had a toter and could go get it at a fraction of the cost of what the record would get, that's we 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 limit ourselves in the trucks that we can find to the area because we either a can't drive it because we can't figure out the insurance or b we we couldn't go get it with a toter because we don't know that part of it so if we could solve one of those two issues then we're good yeah i would say step one consult consult with your friends at landstar about you know towing your own we have uh, we have opened that discussion with a couple of different people with promises that they get back to us. <laughs> and a good thing we weren't holding our breath. So <clears throat> okay, gotcha. I think I think the big there, picture here want to answer it. So I think You're the big safe. picture here is is once this podcast is over, I'm gonna consult with my friend at CIA uh, trucking dot com and <laughs> Get I'm the answers yeah, hey, yeah. <laughs> the risk-free way to do that is to pay the tow bill, man. <laughs> well, yeah. How can I yeah. possibly yeah. be looking like the Pope tonight? That I mean, is a somebody. <laughs> how, how can that? That do you mean the one that just died? The one they just put in the yeah. in the grotto? Is that the one? Yeah. The Pope. 
I could be mistaken for a lot of things, but the <laughs> yeah. Pope is not on the top 20, okay? So uh, here's a great question from William. William was, was one of our program participants and a really, really sharp guy. Uh, how do I start my own insurance brokerage? Well, I've actually done that before. I was 25 years old and uh, I had worked at a large brokerage uh, for a couple of years <clears throat> and I realized some things about them that I didn't want to know. So I left a, I mean, to be 25 years old, I left a huge book of business behind because I was under a non-compete agreement yeah. and um, yeah. stepped out on a, on a leap of faith, man. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I was successful. I did, I did it right. I did it good. Um, but, you know, I mean, to start your own insurance brokerage, you know, you've you, know, you got to have everything a business has, but you've, you've also got to know the market and you've got to know, be able to get those insurance company contracts and you have to be able to get your insurance, your business insurance, just like any business. And uh, that can be costly. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't have a, not really prepared to answer with five or 10 steps on how to do that, you know? Yeah. But there's a lot, there's a lot on the internet about it. Well, obviously, you've got to have relationships with the product, which is the insurance companies. You know, I mean, you're basically the go-between. You've got your customers that need insurance, and you've got insurance companies that need customers. You're putting it together, you know, um, in the most simplistic way. But like you say, there's a lot of knowledge base that's got to go on there for you to understand how that works, I'm sure. So, um, like any business, Absolutely. like any business, you know, it, 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 it looks easy until you go to do it. And then you find out that there's things about that you, you have shit you know so yeah you gotta have software there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> well william is a william he's a pretty ambitious person you know he's always looking for the opportunity so um when then surprise me that he asked that question that's good yeah he got on he got almost eight mile a gallon out of a 2001 classic with a big hood so he's he's the that's guy impressive. that pays, pays attention to the details yeah um, yeah, yeah, he's very he's, impressive. I kept looking, I kept getting him to see if he opened his shirt, see if I see a red S there somewhere. Cause, uh, he, uh, he was our fuel miles champion the whole time he was here. He, he could take, oh, we always prided ourselves on Chris and I being the best fuel mileage guys till he came along <laughs> and then he made us look, he bad, smoked so. us all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did. Well, so, and, and William's living proof that when we say drivers, 35% of fuel mileage. Absolutely. You know, uh, a driver don't have anything to do with it. Oh, honey. Oh, mm. precious. The driver has everything to do with fuel mileage, okay? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I would bet your guess it's probably 50% of fuel mileage as a driver. <laughs> Especially uh, in the 2000 classic. <laughs> uh, so, well, well, we're almost two hours. Do you have anything else you would like to add uh, to, to this conversation? I'm going to put your website back up here so that people can find you. Um, yeah, and also com-ins.com is our main website. That one's just like a little portal for contacting us. Okay. So com-ins.com com is our actual company website. Is that well, Brian, com, how do you how do you do that? com-ins.com. All right. 
Sorry, Larry. Like, no, I was just I was just thanking you like for that? agreeing to come on tonight. Is that that's correct? Okay. Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah. I really I, I really appreciate you guys too. I I, I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy your uh, your TikTok videos, and um, hopefully, I, I'm trying to learn a thing or two about some social media following. So. <laughs> appreciate you guys having me on thanks it's for it's really easy if you piss enough people off the the, the <laughs> algorithm just says oh well, here you go you know we're pretty good at that you know so yeah. um it's a gift that's great, <laughs> it's, that's a, great. It's, a, it's an acquired talent you know um well well but yeah, you well, know but, but honestly our our audience has a lot of time on their hands they spend 10, 12, 14 hours a day in a truck. So, you know, if we were trying to, if we, our audience were, you know, doctors, I don't know if it would work because they, those guys can't sit around and listen to stuff all day long like drivers can. So it just works out yeah. that we've got an audience that having a radio on and listening, they can do that while they're working and, and they, they're looking for something to keep them occupied anyway. So it, it just well, works of- out. Speaking of truck drivers, one thing that we didn't mention is, um, you know, if you've if you've received a DOT violation, it's mm, not a yeah. warning. DOT officers calling it warnings, they need to be corrected. They are DOT violations. They come within a roadside inspection normally, and if it's improper or incorrect, you can ask the motor carrier that you are under lease with or that you drive for, uh, ask them if they know how to go on the FMCSA portal and perform a data queue because that exists to uh, try to help, um, you know, (laughs) fix the the errors that can come with DOT inspections. And I know this is a sensitive topic for Chris, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but 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 that's that's what the motor carrier can use and if the motor carrier can get get can get that corrected and drivers keep your evidence take your pictures if if a dot officer claims that your uh your service airline is chafed beyond the reinforcement plot and you don't agree with it take a picture of it you know submit it through that data queue portal on the fmcsa website and dispute it yeah well, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at their website, and it says you can create an account as a driver. But do you, so do you? Do you think correct. you have to go? You have to go through I, the carrier. Um, <clears throat> I know that if the motor carrier can get it relieved from the record, it comes off. I believe it comes off the drivers too. But yes, you're you're absolutely right, and I I should have mentioned that the drivers can create their own account. Okay. Yeah, there's an FAQ on here, so you can go. It's on the FMCF. Just just Google Data Q, and it comes up, and you they got all kinds of information on there. Um, the only problem with Data Q is it you're basically you now you may have mentioned this too, and when your thing the it goes right back to the officer that, that that wrote it and his immediate supervisor. So you're not really getting a fair trial because the person who wrote the, the ticket is still in control of whether or not they're going to consider you know uh changing it and uh um, you know it's, it's pretty hard for to get a cop to admit he made a mistake you know so i, I don't know i've never tried it uh, I, I don't know what the success rate is be an interesting statistic to look at but if it's bad enough i guess it's worth the trouble but if it's for a light well, 
and you don't it's you're not driving anyway anyway so um, yeah it's it's something i do for my clients is i look through a motor carrier's cab report it's a summation of all their csa alerts or csa scores and their inspections and relative violations right and there are times when there are times i would say the majority of times when either i file the data queue or the motor carrier you know i can do it on their behalf or they do it you know, right. to get them started, to get them used to how to doing this, they've got to kind of speak the DOT's officer's language. So every T cross, every I dot, it's got to be perfect. And don't, if you're going to submit it, make sure you hit the nail on the head. But the, the, my success rate is probably about 50%. Really? Um, but I've got, I've got experience doing it and I know how to speak to them. I know what they're looking for. And, um, you know, and you you got to have your ducks in a row. You got to have your evidence, and sometimes you can't always come across come by that. And sometimes, sometimes you can just be wrong. But the biggest one I see is probably out of about half of those that are successful. Uh, half of those are things that are duplicates. So they may give you a violation for. Let me think. What's a good example? Oh, well, I can give you one. The parking light's out, but it's also the turn signal. It's also the four-way. So they give you three fines for the same bulb or three right. warnings for the, three violations for the same bulb. That's called stacking. Right. Yeah. Yes, they're st- essentially, yeah, they're stacking them. So um, I would say the, you know, the success rate on, on data queuing those is higher. You know, Probably, because, is. yeah, 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 you know, yeah. We know what to look for. <clears throat> All righty. Is there anything else or is there any questions? I'm, I'm kind of going back and looking through our topics and stuff. Um, I, I see a couple of new comments, but you've answered those earlier in the podcast so people can go back and, uh, and watch. Um <clears throat> I don't really see anything that was uh, insurance related that we haven't answered. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I'll I'll hit this one real quick. Luke asked, "Can you go more in depth of the Landstar warranty?" It's it's basic. It's called it's an acronym NPT. It's, it, it's not Landstar warranties. It's a commercial yeah. warranty that Landstar just basically endorses. It's called NTP. NTP, uh-huh. and and so they they deduct it from your settlement mm-hmm. every week, and then yeah. you know. Uh, you know, if it's good, you can it's good. you can it's Google not, NTP and, and and that's what they'll do. But it's not it's not Landstar connected. Landstar just allows you to use your deduct your your weekly settlement to pay for it. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have any personal experience with it. Now, I have a client that's about to use it, so in a couple three weeks, I'll be able to tell you, I guess, based on his experience. And I've seen, but I've seen people in you know, anecdotally. People say that, you know, it paid for big ticket repairs and uh, stuff like that. But don't miss the big picture on a warranty, okay? A warranty is not going to pay your downtime. A warranty could potentially take longer than if you would have just paid for it in the first place because warranties are going to fight to get that cost down as much as they can. They're going to lengthen the process. So just because it's a warranty does not mean it's beneficial to you. So you got to make sure you don't look at this as some kind of magic pill 
uh, that will replace a good savings plan where you can take it to anywhere you want to take it, you know, um, you know, it's like somebody like Carl that could probably 100% fix it versus somebody that 50% fixes it. And then you're broke down again three weeks later. So I, it's just, it's not a, it's just not a hundred percent deal. And so that's, we don't do warranties, but, um, I think personally think they're worthless, but, but for the very reason that it, it, the, the repairs are not what's expensive. It's a loss of revenue. And in right. fact, that you failed your customer, you're going to pretty much fail a customer for sure. Um, because there is no, you have no control over the amount of time that they keep you there, uh, working on the vehicle. Uh, I maintain, I can, I, you can take your vehicle in there and warranty. I can take mine in there as cash and I'll be, I'll, I'll beat you out of there every time. So yeah. that's my contention is how much, well, and look, what's a week worth to you? Okay. And let me reiterate <clears throat> when, when I had a client that go, went down with a clutch on a Monday morning at five, at 5 a.m. He, it turned out to be a clutch truck. Wouldn't go in gear, towed him into the freight liner, uh, stealership. Uh, they told him, I saw the work order part unavailable, unknown ETA. They told him two or three weeks. All right. I made three phone calls. The first guy didn't answer. The second guy said he was too busy. Told me to call the third guy. The third guy was a mobile mechanic. That mobile mechanic went to that dealership, bought that clutch off of their shelf towed my guy down the road to a rented space in another shop. He was hauling freight Friday. Truck broke down Monday morning, was hauling freight Friday. Now, I don't know what happens if he says, well, hey, I've got a warranty. And the freight liner dealer says, oh, we can't get the part that's on their shelf. That's on their shelf. I don't know why they lied to him and told him it wasn't available. Okay. But what happens if he sits there two, three, four, five, six weeks waiting on a clutch? That was there in the building. So, again, guys, it, this, you're in business. You've got to be willing to fight. You've got to be willing to make phone calls and tow the damn thing out of the freight line dealer if you have And, to. oh, by the way, the repair bill was $3,000 less. $3,000. Yeah, $3,000 less. So, so, so now you can keep your warranties. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think we're good. Um so everybody go see Brian at uh, com, and we appreciate you being here. Follow him on TikTok. Uh, what, what's your TikTok handle? I don't know. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Doesn't, doesn't even know his own TikTok handle. I think it's C-I-A-N-T-P or N-T-P-C-I-A or something. There might like be that. an underscore in there. Yeah, at CIA underscore NTP. And there you have it. And look, I want to, I, I kind of want to tell, I mean, since we're on here and who knows how many views this thing might get over time, guys, a lot of people just think that insurance companies are a scam. They just, they're just ripping me off. I'm a broker. Look, I don't pay claims. The insurance company pay claims, pays the claims. I'm the mediator, I'm the in, but I have sat on both sides of the fence. And I can tell you to anybody who thinks that insurance companies are scam artists, they are in business to make money. And in 2012, they lost two and a half percent. In 2013, they lost 2.4. This is a third party. This is AM Best. They do all the ratings for all the insurance companies. This is not insurance company data. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an, an analysis. Now, 
2009 and 2010, they made 9%. 2011, they made three. They haven't made money since 2011. They make money on their investments. So losing two and a half, they lost 5% in 2015, 8% in 2016, 8% in 2017, 6% in 2018. I don't have the numbers for the last three years, but they're probably upside down. So um, under, I think it just comes to public awareness and public education. It, it really does. There's, um, it feels like, it, you know, you're paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year to have a truck insured. It feels like a ripoff, but I can tell you, look at, look at that truck and tell me what, <clears throat> what a fin fender and a bumper and a radiator costs. And if you hit a Mercedes and you hurt somebody think about what that costs. Yeah. So trucks are out there crashing every day all the time. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it may feel like a scam, but so does the DOT sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here. We're all about minimizing so risk. Here. There's, no question, there's no question that having, uh, you know, the right kind of insurance and the right amount is part of that risk management strategy. You know, I mean, um, for what, well, in, in some cases it's a requirement anyway, but beyond that, it's just part of your risk management uh, business strategy. So uh, it's, um, you know, people get upset because they pay for it and they don't get anything back. You know, and of course, the life insurance industry made a fortune off that by selling cash value life insurance. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's an it's a it's a business expense. It's necessary to protect the what if, you know, um, it, it doesn't matter how good your business is if you if you can't last. And, uh, yeah. you know, getting involved with one of these one of these um you know, situations where you're, 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 you're at li you're at risk for liability. Uh, how do you, how do you survive that? You know, how do you get past that? Um, especially with your own authority, because you know, the, the, the lawyers are going to go for whoever's got the deepest pockets. You're least the land star. It's probably going to be them. If it's yours the authority, guess who else, who else are they going to go to? It's going to be you <clears throat> and guess who has to pay that bill? The insurance company. Does. Insurance company. Right. So, so they pay these, party. you know, half million, they pay these really big awards and they're also paying for damages to the truck and damages to the cargo, the rate that you receive. Right. And here's how different it can be. An owner operator who has decided after two years of experience to get his own authority for that million dollar liability, the most brokers require, I know FMCSA only requires 750, but everybody gets a million for mm -hmm. a $50,000 truck and for a $100,000 cargo limit and general liability, they might pay $8,000 a year or they might, their quote, the best quote out there might be $30,000 a year. Right. So it depends on what you qualify for, what your, um, you know, what your insurance score looks like, which I get that off your the last four digits of your social and your date of birth. So it's probably some sort of credit score, right? Um, right. And, you know, the type of equipment that you have and what you're going to be hauling and stuff like that. Um, so they, they, they develop those underwriting, uh, technologies to, you know, they, and they, they get it from actuarial data from claims histories. So the insurance are insurance companies are huge data companies. They're always collecting data and analyzing it. And of course they're trying to make a profit, um, cause that's what all businesses do. But if you look at their direct combined ratios, you know, they, the trucking has been, you know, poorly performing and that's why insurance rates are up so high 
Right. Well, and I'm sure so, that there's probably limited numbers of people that are willing to write a period, you know, because of what you said with the percentages over that, you know, <clears throat> so. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But the market changes every day and you've got insure tech companies coming in and it's, it's bringing rates down a good bit. And so, um, I, I, sometimes I'll get on YouTube and do a little state of the union address about insurance. I get about 80 or 90 views and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Brian, thanks anyway, again for being on and, and we, we appreciate it. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch base again and see what happens with the, uh, you know, with the viewership and what kind of comments come up. And so we wish you all the best. Uh, hopefully we, hopefully we can get you a little business out of this anyway. So, um, well, that's cool. And, and same to you guys. Thanks for having me on. I love what you guys are doing. You guys have a great business model. Um, it's, it's, you. it's obviously working and, um, <clears throat> and, uh, keep, keep showing the haters. <laughs> I'd be glad to come back on sometime though. Thanks for having All me. Right. Man, Thank you for being it. here. Yeah. All right. Well, well, you know, in a, in an effort to minimize risk, um, my family hired a trainer and we have to go to the gym three times a week, and I've got to be up at 5.30. So I'm going to shut this show down and go to bed because my body is already screaming for mercy after, after going two days because we've got this professional bodybuilder, and this guy's a monster, and he's trying to kill us all. Um, so uh, we will be back with you next Sunday night at 2100. And... Um, and then we'll have we should be having an orientation at the end of the month, so you may get to see another episode from the Lunatic Lounge. So be looking forward to that. Uh, check out the website uh, blueribbonlogistics.com. Uh, please check out our sponsors, uh, Pittsburgh Power. And I'll put the banner back up. There it is. Like and subscribe and all that good stuff. And we will see y'all next week. Good night, everybody.